0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. It's a new day, Lord. Yesterday is behind us. Yesterday's anointing won't do today, Lord. We need a fresh touch from you. Balm of Gilead, we pray you would anoint our eyes. That we might see that's been hidden, that you would anoint our ears with your precious blood, that may hear the voice of your Holy Spirit, that we may be prepared. Any hour you come, touch of our hearts because they are prone to wander, O oh Lord. Touch our hearts, O oh God, that it may return always to its true maker, to its true honor, that we may love you with all our heart. So this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, speak to us, speak to us. Let there be light. More light in our lives, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Weeks back, or oh, when we began, we remember Joshua. God, through Joshua, telling the children of Israel to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant and the priests who carried it, because they were moving into a new territory. So are we, and the writer of Hebrews will tell us to beware of drifting, of wandering, and to keep our eyes on, fixed on Christ Jesus. So every time we gather around the word, the whole purpose is to bring us back to God, to His Son. Yesterday, if you were there, and most of you were in there, and the message is already up, it's even there on WhatsApp, on the WhatsApp group, we were looking at, uh, the beginning we were looking at the questions. We saw the Bible is full of questions. you need questions in life. People who don't have questions never find answers. Okay, we need questions, and questions is the way to finding answers. But remember, the first question in the Bible does not begin with man or with God. It begins with the father of liars, the father of all lies. Genesis 3, one says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So remember, the first question was asked, by the father of lies, the devil. The first question and the nature in which he asks a question should define for us the character of the devil. The one who will always cast doubt on the character of God and the word of God. What God has spoken. And you will see later when Jesus walks on earth and these Pharisees and the scribes and all are forever. He looked at them and said, you are of your father, the devil. And you honestly, you go around studying scripture and you look at the questions the Pharisees or those who were sent by the Pharisees asked Jesus, you will see those are not genuine questions. The questions they are asked are basically to trap him because what he said was actually true. They were of the devil. Okay. So when people ask questions and when you ask questions, always be careful that you ask questions to find the truth and not to trap people. Because if you ask questions to trap somebody, you know who your father is. Okay? Because questions reveal the heart of a person. This reveals the heart of the wisest of all creation. Of all creation. God was not created, but he said, when the devil was created, he was perfect in his wisdom. But even those who have Perfect wisdom can be corrupted if the heart strays away from God. So the first question in the Bible is asked by the devil. The next question is asked by God. He asked the first question when God told Adam, where are you? So the first question that God asks a fallen man is a father looking for his children and he's asking, where are you? The first question of the fallen man is found in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9. You look at the first question is from the devil. First question of God. The first question of man is a fallen man. Is this. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Where is your brother? That's God is asking. That's a fourth question of God. First question of man. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a question. The callous attitude of the fallen man. And I'm, I'm a brother's keeper. And you see, we need to search our hearts. Need to search our hearts. Okay? If you read scripture, and you know from scripture, which is true, the earth and its fullness, everything on the earth Belongs to God, including us. There's nothing that we have or we will have is ours. It belongs to Him because He's the creator. He created us. He created everything. So everything that we have, we hold it as towards everything. Everything. And sometimes through deliberate knowledge or sometimes through ignorance, the fallen man acts like Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? You know? And God, through, because he's in control of everything, through nature, tries to teach us, you are your brother's keeper. One of the things which I always do when I go into an institution like LHL or GSS or homes, my home, other home is that first thing I do is put off what is not needed. Shut the tap that is dripping because we are our brother's keepers. And I see young people are absolutely callous about these things which when you don't realize water is the most precious commodity now on earth. It's running out. But sometimes our heart is revealed by the attitude how we deal with things. Things. How we deal with things. It doesn't matter how many you have. doesn't matter. No, doesn't matter. We just don't throw it away. We try to reuse it. Because we are stewards. It's not only how we deal with our brother. It also how we deal with resources. Because a resource which is used to the maximum can go in helping another brother. But you look at the heart of the fallen man. His first question is, I am not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not responsible for it. What I have, I'm going to spend it, use it, enjoy it. And if he starves, who cares? Who cares? And that's not our attitude. That is not our attitude. Because our father, the everlasting father, when Jesus came on the cross, he was declaring, I am my brother's keeper. So we can learn from questions. Go through the Bible. Yesterday I told the pastors, always carry something like that. You know, I carry that even here so that I can mark as I go along. You go through your Bible, and the young ones I'm teaching you, okay? Go through your Bible. As you do your Bible study, whenever you see a question, underline it. Because you can learn from questions. You can ask those questions over and over again to God, and you will keep on getting answers. Because the answers God gives you about a particular question can be as deep as Him. As you grow older and older, he gives you depths of that same question, how the answer will be. So it's an incredible walk with the living God, because he's living. Okay, so you will see through the Bible, of course, I'm not going to repeat. Yes, I will for those who never hear the first question. Where are you? Second question. Who told you? Third question. What have you done? Fourth question. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? And then from there to Hagar, hey where are you going? Where have you come from? Where are you going? Sarah, why did you laugh? Jacob, what is your name? Moses, what is in your hand? It goes on through. That's all God's. Job will ask a question. If a man dies, will he live again? That's an interesting question. Think about it. Find it up. It's homework. Find it out in your Bible. Where did Job ask this question? You have a non-believing a friend, and you share the gospel with them and say, just Google search the book of Job and this there is these words, just read it. And they will go back and ask this question. If a man dies, will he live? That's the oldest book in the Bible. It's the book of Job. So therefore, one of the oldest questions of man is, if he dies, will he live? It's an interesting question. Rich young ruler, excellent guy, very good guy very disciplined guy, very obedient guy, is still this nagging doubt in his heart that he is not saved. Comes, falls on his knees before Jesus and asks this question, what do I do to have eternal life? Interesting, right? Jesus asks this question, what does it profit? All career-oriented young people, what does it profit if you earn this whole world? And lose your soul. In the US, the pinnacle you can reach on your career is become the President of the United States. One young guy became President at a very young age. Two terms are over. Now he's trying to get into Netflix. You know what Netflix is? It's a TV channel. He wants to do programs with Netflix. Because you reach there, now what are you going to do with your life? That's a problem with every carrier in the world. There's an end to it. There's only one carrier till your last breath. Serving God. What shall it profit man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And if you study Jesus, the Gospels, Jesus was a master. And I've learned from Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus. How to deflect a question with a question? Very good. He was very, very good. We should learn. The reason is we are living in a world like never before, where we are absolutely distracted by so many voices calling for attention. The incredible pressures of city life. Incredible pressure. City life is incredibly pressure. It's not like the village life, the countryside life. It's incredible pressure because you are dependent upon a system. Even if you have your own house, you don't have your own water. You don't have your own electricity. You don't have your own vegetables. I was telling my boys when we, I said, you know what, if I go back home to my own house, my own home, I think that land is over 100 years old. The well has never grown gone dry in all these years, 50, 60 years. That means I don't need the government for water. I don't need electricity because I'll go to sleep at 6 and wake up at 4. The vegetables on the land is enough to f- feed me. And there is one room downstairs where all the firewood is kept. It. I don't need gas. You see the difference between the city and the country? We are absolutely dependent upon the system very little. But the system doesn't want it. They want to hurt the people in the city so they can control us. And there is incredible pressure. Incredible pressure. We will say, oh, the children in the villages, in the rural areas are not academically brilliant because there is no pressure. There's no pressure. They are not worrying their heads off like you do. So there is pressure. There is distractions all around. Right? If you go to the village, the color of milk is white. If you come to the city, what's the color of milk? Right? So, God puts these questions over there in the Bible to bring us back. Bring us back. So we ask these questions so that we don't drift because even believers drift. No, Believers drift. And they can walk in disobedience. Remember the master of the ship asking, Jonah, how come you are sleeping? Woke him up. To sleep unto death. If that man, unbeliever, hadn't woken up the believer with a question. Wake up. How can you sleep at a time like this? Everybody was rescued. Because of a question. Jonah woke up and said, what's the problem? He said, this is the problem. He said, I know the solution. So one question saved a ship load of people. see, that's how God does. Okay? Otherwise, we will keep on drifting. Okay? So in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore, we must give a more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. There's only one solution. Because we're living in a, in a city atmosphere. Only one way we can save ourselves from drifting. By giving earnest heed. Meaning careful attention to what we have heard. The word of God and the messages. You know, one of the pastors was saying yesterday. The one who translates for me was telling me yesterday. Pastor, I have reached 2011. I said, what do you mean? I said, from 2000, the recordings are there in your site. I have reached 2011. I've been listening every day, every message that is over there. I'm listening, studying, and it's changing my life. You know what? That was what I was praying, that he's a nice young man, you know. Telangana is opening up for him. Every week, they're calling me into different districts to come and teach the pastors. You see, you invest in one man... (laughs) And God takes that man and takes him around. Takes him around. Okay, That's why you have to pay careful attention to the things we have heard lest we drift away. So if in Genesis it is God who asks where are you? The old covenant begins with God's question. Adam, Adam, where are you? The New Covenant is interesting. It begins with the question from man. In Matthew 2 and verse 2, man is asking the question, God, where are you? Did you see what 400 years of silence have done between Matthew and Malachi? 400 years of God not speaking to his people. When the New Covenant opens, it begins with the question, where is he? Born the King of Jews. It's a paradigm shift from God asking, where is man, to man now asking, where is God? Yet I was telling yesterday, the most important question in the Bible, a question every human being will have to answer one day in their life, Or answer one day before Christ. Everyone born will have to answer. Was not asked by God. Was not asked by the devil. Was asked by no Old Testament saint or New Testament saint. It was asked by a Gentile, an unbelieving Roman. And it is found in Matthew 27 and verse 22. It's a very personal question. All believers will have to answer that question every day. Every man will have to have an answer one day. What is it? Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus? It's not what shall we? What shall I do with Jesus? The reason you are here today, because there is a question in your heart. What shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do with Jesus? That's the question. Most of our issues for believers. is Issue is got to do with this question. You know you are supposed to go in this way. You are going in this way. And you are uneasy. You are worried. You are anxious. The question is. What shall I do with Jesus? I wish he let me go. That I could go my way. He says I am not going to leave you. So what shall I do with this Jesus? Everyone has to answer. And it is not a question that will go away. You can go buy a ticket in the opposite direction, find a boat ready to go, get into the boat, go down, go to the deepest part of the ship and lie down over there. The question will follow you. What will you do with Jesus? You can be thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale, taken to the deepest part of the ocean. Even there, the question follows you. What will you do with Jesus? Cannot escape. Cannot run from this question. Because we will all have to answer, what will I do with Jesus? Oh, we love that beautiful promise, the last words in the Gospel of Matthew, surely I will be with you till the very end. we feel so comforted when we are in trouble. But that's not what he said. He said always, when you are up to mischief, it's not a very comforting words. I am with you. <laughs> People put this thing up in all Christian house. No, Jesus is the head of this house and the silent that's what you think. He's not a silent listener. He listens silently and then starts speaking here. What will you do with me? What will you do? You are playing hooky with God. You know there was this, this little boy who told his mother. He started school, this little kindergarten school, and his mother used to go drop him. And you know how children are. After a few weeks, he said, "Ma, I can go alone." All the children are making fun of me. Your mama drops you to school, so I will go alone. She said, "Okay, son, you go to alone." And she had two of her older friends, and she told them, "You know, my son doesn't want me, but you do one thing morning." You walk a little behind, but go with him and drop him. See that he doesn't lose his way and he goes to school. So these two ladies used to take the knitting and they used to follow him and follow him and watch. Every day this was the routine. One day one of his little friends asked him, those two old ladies at the back, are they following you? He said, no, we cannot get rid of them. Why? Why? Mama has told me every night. Do you know what their names are? He says, I think their names are goodness and mercy. Because she says every night, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of their life. (laughs) See, when it is goodness and mercy, we love it. Lord, I love it. But that's not what he is alone. He is more than goodness and mercy. Therefore, it is good to have this question always in your heart because questions through questions. Today's message is not on questions, but I'm just getting you because a lot of young people in the church, almost half of the church are more than its young people. So I just want to, just don't read your Bible like a parrot speaks. Okay, Just don't read it as routine, like you're preparing for an exam. Take it seriously. Your Bible is your life. And all the questions that deal with life, the questions are there, the answers are there. And I also will tell you, those who are zealous, I know many of you are zealous in your evangelism, and you teach in your offices, in your IT firms. You see, when you do evangelism, don't give a person who is searching, who is interested, the entire Bible. Because, give them the New Testament. Because they need to encounter Jesus first. And once they have encountered Jesus, and they know Jesus, they read Genesis onwards, it's all about Jesus. But you give them Genesis, and people being structured, will read the beginning of the book, they will not understand anything. First let them find Jesus, because the Bible is not a set of stories. The Bible is his story. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it is the story of God, of Jesus Christ. So give them the new covenant. Give them the new covenant and let them find Jesus. And I would always say, underline verses, a few of them which you think will get their attention. And that's how you do evangelism. Not by always giving them the whole Bible, which few pages they put it away. And if you are serious studying, I will tell you, Of the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you are a serious student of the Bible, you should begin with the Gospel according to John. That's of the four. That is the doctrinal of the four Gospels. I was telling last Sunday night's service, I was telling the pastors, if you take the New Covenant, you have 27 books. First five books is history. For Gospels, Acts is history. After that, you have the epistles all the way till Jude, which is doctrine. And then you have revelation, which is prophecy. That's how the new covenant is divided into history, doctrine, prophecy. There's only one man, John, who wrote history, gospel according to John, doctrine, 1 John, Second John, Third John, and prophecy, the book of Revelation. History tells you who God was. Doctrine tells you who God is. Prophecy tells you who God will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. One man writes all three in the new covenant. So how you study differs depending upon your heart and your interest. And you should be interested in this. You should be interested in this. And you don't, you don't need to go to Bible college. That's why you have two pastors here who never went to Bible college. All you have to be is interested in this, in this. And say, Lord, when I open, teach me. Speak to me. I want to learn of you. I want to learn. You now, a lot of people, when they approach subjects and choose careers, they're looking at stuff that would profit them in life. But in relationships, you don't look at like that. When you are, when you love somebody, you want to know as much possible about that person so that your relationship can grow. You need to approach your Bible that way. This is about you. No one has ever, no one will ever love me the way you love me. I want to really know you. All of eternity I will know you, but I'm not going to waste my time. I'm starting now. I'm starting today. That's how you approach your Bible. And you will suddenly realize it's not a boring book. It's an exciting book. Incredibly exciting book. So each of the books are different, but it is the same, same Savior. So if you look at the gospel according to John, first question there is by Jesus. What's the first question Jesus asks in the gospel according to John? Is what he asks everybody. If you start following him, he stops and asks, what do you seek? What do you seek? And you will see through the gospels, you will ask different people, what do you want? What do you seek? We all have come to the same house today. We all sang the same songs. We all heard the same prayer and said Amen to the same prayer. We all will listen to the same message, but we will not receive the same answers. We will receive as we seek. What do you seek today? The first question. And they said, where do you stay? He said, come and see. Right? We know this. Andrew was one of the two disciples who followed Jesus and asked this question. He stays with Jesus? If you stay with Jesus, that's interesting. You will always see. When you stay with Jesus, Okay, not having a chance encounter with Jesus, when you stay with Jesus, you will go out and get others and say, come man, meet him. One of the reasons people don't evangelize, one of the reasons people don't witness because they haven't stayed with him. They haven't stayed with him. It's one of the reasons. You need to stay with him. Come and see is the invitation. Come and see. He brought his brothers, Peter. Now when somebody is brought to Jesus, and you meet the Jesus, your destiny changes. Jesus looks at Peter and said, You are Simon. From today, you are Cephas. Destiny is changed. Finished. That's what happened. Then what happens? I still think about how God changed my destiny and Vijay's destiny. It's just because we met Jesus. Just because we met Jesus. If I hadn't met Jesus, my destiny would have been completely different. Absolutely different. Our backgrounds are very similar if you look at it. We both taught students and we both were PhD students. So we have a background of research and a background of teaching. It's the final example Jesus does. They didn't catch anything. He said, put it on the other side. The dragon bring it. He's already made breakfast for them. And he says, bring some of what you brought also. He has already prepared us for something to do. But he says, I will also use what you have. So whatever you are training in, Will not be wasted in God's kingdom if you hand it over. It doesn't matter what your career is, what you're choosing. Doesn't matter. Put it into his hands. But he's not dependent on that my little catch or his little catch. Because he is already prepared what we need to have and to give forth. So when you meet Jesus, your destiny changes. It it changes. Then he meets Philip. Jesus is interesting. He meets Philip. Looks at Philip. Follow me. Philip's destiny has changed. You need to meet Jesus because so many young people, I'm not talking about the younger ones, I'm talking about the little older ones are struggling. I heard about this old English pastor, many Couple of hundred years ago, one of his uh, friends had given him a dog, which is called a, I don't know how you pronounce it, Kohli, Kohli. It's a huge dog. Okay. It's a huge, huge dog. Okay. It's a big dog. And the problem is these dogs are in the countryside. They're run and bound, big, massive ones. But he lives in the city and he's given this dog. And the next day he has to take the dog for a walk. He said, we were the two most miserable of God's creation. I am dragging the dog on the leash. The dog is dragging on the way back. And we went and we came back. Miserable. Every day it was the same story. So many believers are like that. They have been handed their lives over to Jesus. Jesus is pulling down this side. They are pulling this side. At the end of the day, two exhausted, miserable people. Thank God he never tires. Then he said, One day and every day he was teaching the dog, teaching the dog, teaching the dog, teaching the dog, teaching the dog. One day he thought the dog was ready. He unleashed the dog. And the dog took off in the city. And he called it and said, heal! That's what they say in English, okay? The dog came back and started on pace with his heels. That's what you tell the dog. Heal meaning, follow my heels. And the dog and the master are now walking together said, so that's what God wants. He doesn't want to pull you all your life. That's what the name Caleb means. A dog who follows his master at his steps. Therefore he entered and possessed the promised land. And at the age of 82 he is be able to say, I am as strong today as the day Moses sent me. Because he was a dog who followed the heels of his master. Don't strain against the leash. Don't pull against the leash. Learn to walk at the heels of your master because that is our destiny. That's our destiny. No, But it all begins with this. Encounter this. Many of you may not understand the word. Doesn't matter. Here, one day it will make sense. You need to realize when scripture says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and have been called according to his promise. You need to realize even if you do not know Jesus, Jesus loves you. And even if you will find Jesus only five years from now, he already knows five years from now, He you will love him. So he's already ordering your steps because he has seen the end from the beginning. That's how you need to know. Everything is ordained by Him. Everything. I've shared this testimony. The year my father brought me from that mountains to Kerala and dropped me there in class six. He came. Tivandrum. They said the boarding is closed. My elder brothers all are in the boarding school. That the boarding is closed. We are not taking anymore. He came for a week in the month of October, the middle of the academic year, and he came then to my hometown, little town, put me. In a Protestant school, as a day scholar, the only child in a Protestant school, all the other in the Catholic institution, that was God's plan. I'm sitting in a class of 40 students or more, around 35 Protestants, four Hindus, and one Catholic, the only Catholic, in a Protestant school. And the first day, one of the periods, you are taught the Bible for the first time in my life. I hear the word of God being taught. Today, you know what? Both my brothers have entered a church in twenty twenty five years. And I preach his word. What you thought then was what a terrible thing to happen to me. God turned it around and says, your destiny was already fixed by me because I knew you one day would love me and all things work together for you. So don't ever think Here, here, I didn't understand anything that was being taught. And every year, one week, in that school, there was chapel and they had what is called meetings, old English term, temperance meetings. You wouldn't even go search and Google what, that's what the old timers used to have, temperance meetings. And I I was fascinated by the word of God, though I didn't know the God of the word at all all it did was, when I reached finally the city into the college, one week after getting admission into that college, Catholic college, one night a young man comes and knocks on my door, gives me the gospel and said, will you pray with me and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Things change from then. What I am saying, there is a God. Everything works for your good. Everything works for your good. Just take this in. It will one day make a lot of sense. Or it will... Make complete sense. Okay. So next encounter Jesus has, I'm just going through briefing you so that how you, how you study the Bible. Okay. The next encounter Jesus has in the gospel according to John is with Nathaniel. It's interesting Nathaniel's response and Jesus' response. Very interesting, right? Nathaniel, somebody tells Nathaniel about Jesus. What is Nathaniel's response? Can anything good come out of? What is that called? Ignorance. What is that called? Okay. It's not good, the best. Perfection came out of Nazareth. And he's asking, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What is Jesus' response? Behold, a true Israelite in whom there is no? guile." What is he saying? That guy is an innocent man. Let me tell you the problem with this. It's a good commendation, Jesus says. But ignorance and innocence is not a good combination. In Malayalam we have a saying, Shuddhan Dushtan che." What it means, an innocent man, an ignorant man, an innocent ignorant man can do the damage of a wicked man because of his ignorance. God wants you to be innocent of but excellent in what is he doesn't want you to be ignorant. He wants you to be excellent. Simple lessons we learn. Just opening the scripture and looking at Jesus' encounters with people. And you assess character and say, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me? He says, be innocent. Like Nathaniel. But don't be ignorant like him. Be excellent. Be excellent in what is good. And be innocent. So you open the pages of the Bible, I'm telling you children. You'll continuously learn. Because you have a living God who speaks to us. He speaks to us. But you are not looking at the gospel according to John. The question today I have is, it's not a question that is there in the Bible. The question that I have is, are you drifting? Pastor Vijay spoke last week about drifting. Are you drifting? Believers are caught. Unbelievers don't drift. Only believers are capable of drifting. In Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through the angels proved steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's a question. The statement is backed up with a question. What is the problem if you drift away? What will happen to you and me if we neglect so great a salvation? So great a salvation. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. How do I guard myself from drifting? Natural ways you know about boats drifting, the only way you can stop a boat from drifting is to see that it is tied firmly to the pyre, to the harbor. The only way you and I can guard ourselves because we are not dead boats, we are living stones and living sacrifices is by tying ourselves daily to Jesus Christ, constantly having. An encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Person, I told you over and over yesterday, also I told them over. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Because you see, we don't preach religion. We don't preach religion. Islam can exist independent of Muhammad. The teachings are already there, inscribed in a book called Quran. And Quran mentions Muhammad four times, Ahmad once so altogether, only five times. Quran is not dependent anymore on Muhammad. Islam can exist independent of Muhammad. Hinduism can exist independent of any god or no god, because there's one platform in Hinduism which talks you: you don't need to be; you can be an atheist and still be a Hindu. Buddhism can exist independent of Buddha. Many of the quotes people quote, they don't even know those were from Buddha. Every religion can exist independent of the teachings of its founder. Christianity cannot. Christianity is the message of a person. His life, his death, and his resurrection, and man is free. Not because of his teachings. Man is free because of his life. That's why he is the only one who has risen from the dead. Sin has been broken. Powers of darkness have been defeated. Penalty has been paid. Man is free. So this is a living person with you and I have to encounter daily. That's the only way we can keep ourselves from drifting. Because all of us are vulnerable to drifting. When it comes to drifting, please remember... Doesn't happen suddenly. It happens slowly. It happens gradually. And then one day you hit the current, and you are swept away. When you got when you were swept away by the current, that's not when you drifted. When your locks were taken off by Dalila, that's not when you drifted. You drifted. You look back years and years earlier, little by little by little, by little. That day you were hit by the current and you were gone. So drifting happens gradually. One day you will be hit by that storm. But the day you hit by the storm was not the day you drifted. Drifting took place earlier. That's why we have to guard ourselves constantly by binding ourselves to the person of Jesus. And also when it comes to drifting, listen carefully. You will never drift towards faithfulness. You always drift into unfaithfulness. You will never drift towards goodness. You always drift to wickedness. Drifting is not neutral. It's not neutral. Drifting is always down. It's always down. That's why the question, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Are we ignoring? Solution? Verse 1. Pay careful attention. Careful attention. Listen, understand, obey. Careful attention to what we have heard. Because the reason is the word of God has become common and familiar for many. For many. This Saturday we will listen to uh, Times Square's message of previous Sunday. It's interesting. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 15. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law." The house of the where was the book of God lost House you know where is the book of God lost? it has been lost with the people of God. We treat this common this is no longer life this is ritual read, put away it's become another idol.' read, put away, pull the screen and I continue with my life. it has been lost in the house of God. It's been lost in the house of God. The word of God has become very common. Has become very familiar. Just imagine today's service. Not here, anywhere. Fantastic music. Super worship. Very powerful prayer. Incredible fellowship. 10 minutes word. No substance. No scripture. Would you know the difference? That the word of God has been lost in the house of God? Would you know? Would you know? Do people sitting in thousands and thousands of churches around the world, do they realize the word of God has actually been lost in the word of God because packaged nicely, we gave music, we gave prayer, we fed and had fellowship, but the word of God was lost. Life continues. Nobody realizes Israel is drifting, 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 Drifting towards captivity and death. And one Josiah wakes up and says, Oh Lord, the word of the Lord has been found. Reads, heart is broken, brings restoration. Judgment is stopped for a period until they start drifting again. What stops judgment in your and my life? The word of God. Praise doesn't stop. Prayer doesn't stop. Fellowship doesn't stop. All this has meaning only if it is built around the word of God. Otherwise, nothing stops. Nothing stops. Remember, the word of God can get lost in the very house of God. When it was lost in the house of God, doesn't matter the house of God wasn't there, it was there. It didn't matter, thing, say that the praise and worship stopped, the music stopped, the sacrifices stopped, the priest stopped. No, everything was continuing. Only one thing was lost. The word of God was lost. And the entire nation was drifting away. Drifting away. That's what God is talking about. Be careful everything else that happens in the house of God has to be validated by the word of God. Everything that happens in your and my life has to be validated by the word of God, to be accepted by God and put the seal. It's true. Therefore it is of me. Otherwise, on that day, when books are opened, we will see we don't like the results. We see this repeated over and over and over over. How does drifting happen? It happens when I listen to the Word of God, but my life does not change. Life doesn't because it's become very familiar. You see, the first time I flew in an aircraft was many, many, many years ago. When I first, you listen to that stewardess, ah. She comes and stands there and she gives this instruction how to put your seatbelt and how if there is turbulence the oxygen mask will come down and you take first and if you have a baby give the baby and all that for the plane crashes. The f- and your heart is pounding because when, when they sold you the ticket they never told you any of these things. First time. Then second time you paid attention. Third time, now you are a freaking traveler. When she comes over there, you take a magazine and start reading. Why? Those announcements are about life and death. But you have become familiar. And then suddenly your turbulence hits like last time turbulence hit. I couldn't take, put my belt because I didn't realize. Suddenly in the panic, you don't know what to open, how to pull it out. That's what believers do. Suddenly crisis comes, they're looking. Are you? Solution. 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 You, Jeremiah. Isaiah. You, Jeremiah. You see what happens? We become familiar. This is not crisis management. This is life. Daily management. Not crisis management, but for many, many people, the only way God can bring them back to him, to his house and to his word is through crisis. Don't live in crisis. Take that crisis, turn it around and says, I will go into life management through his word and through his spirit. Otherwise, crisis will never end. Because God says, that's the only way I can keep you in line. Otherwise, you will drift away. Hebrews 4.12 says about the word of God. The word of God is living. The man of God may be dead, gone. But the word he preached is still living. Still living. That's why we enjoy the word of God and the men of God who have gone before us and we study because what they have preached because it was the word of God is still living. And it is powerful It's living and it is powerful. The books you read entertain you. It's not powerful. It's not powerful. It's not living. It's dead. This is living and it's powerful. One of the final visions of John the Apostle in Patmos of Jesus coming back ready for the second coming to judge the earth and rule for a thousand years, he suddenly sees something in Revelation 19. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Remember Jesus saying something, the ruler of this world has come and he found nothing in me. Why couldn't he find anything in Jesus? Because his entire life was the word of God. Imagine one day you finish your race and your entire life has become the word of God. And when he comes and he says, you and me, same, nothing to judge. Because he said on that day, you will be judged by the word you have heard. That's the journey we are running towards. Lord, let me be consumed by my your word. For your word is life. Your word is Spirit. So the question is, what will I do with this Jesus? What will I do with Jesus? Second, drifting happens when we don't care anymore. We know we don't care. Two Sundays from now, be Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. All, you go around this city, any city in India, Shamiana's will be all put up. Why should you put Shamiana's during Good Friday? Why should you put Shamiana's during Resurrection Sunday? Because a lot of people who never came will come on those days. Why? Because they don't care for the rest of the year. I told the pastors yesterday, just because your name is in the rolls of a church register does not mean your name is in the Lamb's book of life. These are two different books. In heaven, those books are never opened. No earthly book is opened. Every book that is opened is a heavenly book. That's why Hebrews 10.25 is written to drifters. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much the more. As you say the day approaching. You see the day approaching. Today we are 70 days into this year. Meaning we are closer to the day of judgment. Than it was 70 days ago. Tomorrow we will be one day more closer to the day of judgment. What does it do to us? Signs are visible of drifting. First, you drift away from the word of Christ. That's the personal, word and person. Second, you drift away from the body of Christ. There is a head and there is a body. Head is there, body is here. You want to check out whether you are drifting? First you drift from the head and then you drift from the body. Check it out. That's how you know Many who are faithful to the body but have no connection with the head at all. That's called religion, Christianity. We are not talking about that. We are talking about those who knew the head. They are drifting from the head. They are drifting from the body. Be watchful. It doesn't matter how the body looks. It still is the body of Christ. Doesn't matter how the body looks. Still the body of Christ. If you were there yesterday afternoon, second part, you would have heard. Everything is over. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dead. You look at that body, it doesn't look good at all. Bleeding, covered, marred, beyond recognition. Everybody has backed off. You don't see the disciples. The women are starting far away. The crowd probably is slowly moving away. It's still his body. It's still the body of God's son. There is still a prophecy to be fulfilled. And God's word will not go void. If I am right, I say 53 verse 9. There is a prophecy still to be fulfilled because it's still the body of Christ. What does it say? They made his grave with the wicked. There he is hanging among the wicked. But with the rich at his death. You read all four scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and see the difference and the additions out of the blue. A rich man called Joseph of Arimathea steps forward. Second thing, he's an upright, just man. Third thing you find under gospel, he was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. He did not agree with the verdict about Jesus. He dissented. And he goes, Matthew will say he was, a, or John will say he was a secret believer. Yesterday I told the pastors, how long will you remain a secret believer? Either the secret will destroy your belief or your belief will destroy your secret. Cannot remain a secret believer all your life. When God's son was hanging on the body and there was nobody who was willing forward to come out of fear or shame to claim that body, two men stepped forward and they were the ordained men of God. Two secret believers stepped forward, one Joseph of Arimathea, other Nicodemus, both members of the council. And they went to Pilate and said, can you give us the body? He's shocked, he's dead. He said, he's dead. He said, okay, take the body. There is a problem. It's Passover. Preparation day tomorrow. Today, tomorrow, Passover. The feast continues for seven days. And there is a verse in the law says, if anyone touches a corpse, a dead body, you are unclean for seven days. You are part of the Sanhedrin. You touch Jesus' body. You take his body. You are in trouble with the Sanhedrin. You are out of the class who all opposes this uh, Jesus. And moreover, You have to miss Passover. You have to miss the recipe because you will be unclean. Two men, righteous men, go. And I believe they're righteous, therefore they won't even ask their servants to do it. They take his body down. Hidden things in scripture. I believe they took the nails out. And they washed his body. They anointed his body. They covered his body. And chose to be unclean and carried his body and put it in the tomb and closed the door to people. Why? Because it is still the body of God's own son. So it doesn't matter how the body looks, whether you like it or not. There will be all kinds of people in the body of Christ. It is still the body of his son. And you cannot separate from that. And if you separate from that, he will find people who will anoint his body and cleanse his body and carry his body through. Because it's his body. It is his body. It is his body. Remember. Remember, don't drift away. Don't look down. One thing I tell my young men is those pastors who come tomorrow on pastor's conference. I look at them, my heart goes, I look, I sit at the back, I look at them. Some of them have only chapels, they are coming off, their socks are torn. But you don't know their testimonies. You don't know their testimonies. I'll tell you the testimony of one which happened this month. He had given an application to the police commission rate. We are having two days conference. Please give permission. And finally, the commissioner gave. But when he went, they said, no, postpone it for two days. The speakers are all coming. And that old man stood there and said, you have been put there by my God to give me permission to hold that meeting. He said, sir, don't say like that. I am scared. And he said, go, 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 go. Have your meeting. And the other pastor with him says, this old man, you do not know. The commissioner, it's when he goes, they tell him, lay your hands upon us and pray over us. He says he stands in the road and people stop him and says, will you pray? And he will stand there and pray over people. And he's 86 years old. He said, last week in a bus, he was going to a meeting somewhere in Madhapur. A girl uh, fainted; her bag fell; her this thing all fell over there. Nobody helped her. He got up, gave her seat, and said, "Put her over there." He stood there in the bus, public place, put his hands over and prayed loudly until she came to her consciousness. These are not fearful people. Don't judge them by what you see them from outside. They all have a testimony. They all come. Be very careful how you judge the body of Christ because you do not know. We do not know the servants of God and the body of Christ. We drift from the head. We drift from the body. And God says, you are drifting. You are drifting. Don't drift. Because it's very easy to criticize the body of Christ. But Christ is committed to his body. And because he is, we are. Do you know all these letters? These letters? Epistles? They were all written to the body of Christ. Different bodies, parts of the body. Have you ever thought about this? First day of the week, the church in Corinth has gathered. People all have come and worship everything. And one of the elders sings of it and says, You know what? Exciting day. Why? We have a letter from our founder. Paul has written a letter. All are excited. And he opens and he reads. Polite. Thank you for godly, loving, kind. And then the rebuke starts. Read Second Corinthians. They must have been broken. Crying, oh Lord, oh Lord, is this what he thinks about us? How did we reach this place? We have drifted away. They are crying, they are repenting and restoration is taking place. One letter. These epistles were written to letter churches. It's all it. no preaching. A letter read. Now we in this generation take that letter, take a verse and preach for two hours. They had a letter. And well, it brought repentance and tears, because they were committed to the head and committed to the body of Christ. So take it seriously. When we do not take the head and the body seriously, we start drifting away. See, I, I grew up Vijay and I grew up on different tangents. I grew up on the old westerns, no. My mother will tell me, I loved guns. Oh boy, I loved guns. My toys were all guns. Every time we came to India, my father used to take me and he used to buy me one of those guns. And I used to take his diaries, that leather thing, cut it, make a holster and tie it around. And in the train also, I used to walk around. (laughs) My mother used to be so embarrassed. I said, no way, I'm going to walk around. When I reached that country, I am the only one with a gun. They have only seen in movies and they were so scared thinking it's a real gun. I was crazy. So I grew up reading the westerns. In the westerns, in these little, little, little towns, small little community, a stranger will come in. And he will go to the bar and order. (laughs) A little later, a sheriff will come with the star over there and ask him, What's your name? Something. Where are you coming from? Somewhere. Where are you going? Somewhere. Keep moving. We don't like drifters in this town. Keep moving. We don't like. That's where I heard before I ever read the Bible. I heard the word drifter. Then, okay, we were not meant to be drifters. We were meant to be rooted in the house of God. Not drifters. Drifters heard. We drift away when we get complacent or easy about sin. That's when we drift. Complacent instead of confession. 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 to 10. If we say we have no sin, I pray nobody here ever reaches that point where you say you have no sin, you are in the danger of going back. If we say we have no sin, if you are no longer aware of your sins, is a serious problem in your life. I told yesterday to the pastors holiness, righteousness are two different things. Righteousness, we learn from the word of God, learn from the actions of God, we practice righteousness and we become righteous. Nobody can become holy. Holy is by associating with the person of God his holiness rubs on to us. That is how we become holy. The minute you are no longer aware of your sins that also means you have stopped walking with the holy God. You are drifting away. You are called to confess not to be complacent. That is why you will see all that incredible people in the Bible before them we will feel like shrooms we will shrivel looking at their righteousness and their holiness, Isaiah and John and all of that. Yet when they are in the presence of the living God, when they have a vision, they are caught by their sinfulness. One of the ways people drift is when we get complacent and easy about sin. Awareness of sin is proof that you are walking with Jesus. For the Holy Spirit constantly convicts us to put away so that we can have a closer walk with Jesus. A closer walk with Jesus is not a song, it's a life. The only thing that stands between you and me is not our troubles, it's not our famine, our lack, our mountains, our sickness, our poison, none of it. It's only sin. Nothing. If Paul asks a rhetorical question, what can separate you? The answer is sin. It's not that God has separated himself from me. I have separated himself. There's a husband and a wife who were driving and now after many years of marriage driving and suddenly the wife looks at the husband who is driving and says, honey, how come we don't cuddle together like in the beginning? He says, well, who moved? I'm still where I am still. You moved. That's a question God is asking. Who moved? I'm still where I am. Lord, I don't feel your presence. He said, who moved? I didn't move. I didn't move. I didn't move. If you and I are not aware of sin, it's not that we will not sin, but we are not aware, and, and easy about our sin then we are drifting away from the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember. Remember. Don't drift away. It doesn't bother you anymore. doesn't bother you anymore. doesn't. It should bother you. One of my friends sent me this incredible, it's a, it's a beautiful WhatsApp forward. It's a story about a man it's alcoholic. As usual, he came drunk. Absolutely drunk. Howard with puke, everything come. And the family manages to lift him and put him on the bed. Next day, when he wakes up in the morning, he, usually they leave him like that. Wakes up in the morning, he's clean, he's dressed. What happened last night? still drunk. What happened last night? So he calls his son and says, what happened? Who cleaned me up? Who changed me? He said, mom did. And she was crying all the while when she was changing. He said, what happened? No, last night she was taking your shirt off and you were so drunk and you opened your eyes and you held her hands and said, lady, don't take off my shirt. I am married. And she cried and she wept and said, even when he is drunk, he is still loyal. And she cleaned you up. See her? See her? Learn to value things in life. Don't drift away. Don't drift away from God. Don't drift away from the body. Don't drift away from the Holy Spirit. Where you are no longer conscious. That's why I said, A drunk Uriah was more holy than a sober David. Go drink. Go, your wife. He says, how can I do that, my Lord? The ark is in the field. Israel is in the field. How can I go home? Don't drift away. David had drifted away. So far away. He had lost the consciousness of sin. And of the spirit. Remember. We'll all stand before God one day. All of us. Question he'll ask is, what did you do with my Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? In a court of law, if you in a court of law, you can plead guilty, you can plead innocence. If you plead innocent, Then the court will say, okay, let the case proceed. The prosecution advocate will stand up and I call witness number one. Witness is sworn in. The witness says that man is guilty. So I am a witness. Witness number two. Man is guilty. I was there. Scripture says everything has to be established in the mouth of At least two witnesses. When we all stand before God's court. And if there is somebody here today who has come to the house of God for the first time. And you are not a believer. When you stand before God. The first witness will stand up. That's an external witness. Romans 1 and verse 20 says. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so they are without no excuse. Whole of creation will stand out there against that person and swear he is without excuse because we proclaim there is a creator. Second witness. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15. Not the external witness, the internal witness. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing else or excusing them. Inside, your conscience comes out, is sworn in and says, I speak against him, he knew. There was a God, but he never sought Him. There is no escape. Because if you seek God, if you seek God, what's the answer? God, you will find Him. It's true, but the actual answer should be, if you seek God, you will find Jesus. There's no way any man who truly seeks God will not find Jesus because God has done everything possible to lead man to Christ. There's external evidence, there is an internal evidence. And your conscience will cry and cry. Right. If you went to the Old Testament, you went any day to that temple, you would see tens and thousands of people all coming with blood and sacrifice and blood and sacrifice. If you go to Banaras, al to during those once in 12 years, millions and millions and millions and millions every year during Hajj takes place, millions of... Po- Why are everybody gathering? Because their conscience will not leave them alone. You are a sinner. You need to find a solution for your sin. But they keep on going every year, except the Christian who knows I am free. Now all I have to do is, he convicts me, put it away, but I am no longer guilty. No longer guilty. You cannot escape this. cannot escape this. Then when you are tired of going to the same place over and over and over and come back feeling guilty. You need to ask, answer. Lord, if you are real, there must be an answer to a permanent solution. He says there is. It's called Jesus. On the cross, he hung for you. Hung for you. That's what God is talking about. Keep approaching the light. Don't walk away from the light. Keep approaching. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25. Jesus, one of his many parables, beautiful one. He also said to them, Is the lamb brought to be put out under a basket or under a bed? Now, of course, we don't like lights so much, so we have shades. Old days, they wanted light, so they put it on a stand. A 20th century person looks up and says, Ha, huh, I put it under the basket. <laughs> okay, don't do it. Scripture so says, Is a lamb brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Just two lines in that parable. He said, Hear carefully. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. To you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him more will be given. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Now Jesus is talking about. He's saying, This is the light. When I give you light, was it supposed to keep it under your pillow? Was it to be hidden? See, so I did not give you my light. To hide it. I gave you my light so that it would reflect and you would walk in its light. It was not to be hidden. And he says the one who puts it up in the lampstand and he sees light, to whom he has, more light will be given. To he who has light, More light is given. To who hides the light, even the light he has taken will be taken away. This is not an option. You either move further and further and further into the light that is God or you move further and further and further into spiritual darkness. So you can either move like David into the light or like King Saul move further and further and further into darkness, finally falling headlong into occult, the ultimate darkness. A man who was anointed by the prophet. A man who had the Holy Spirit upon him. A man who was moved and given a new heart. A man who won battles. A man who prophesied. Is now dwelling in darkness. Why? Because he said the light is not to be hidden. If you put it under a bed you will lose it. Use it. Use it you will have more. Use it, you will have more. Use it, you will have more. That's how God's kingdom works. Everything in God's kingdom works that. Not just like, everything of God works like that. Use it, you will have more. In the world, use it, you will have less. You know why you are not able to love? Because you don't love. The more you love people, the more love he's is given to love even more. That's how it works. The more you love, the more love he puts into your hearts. By the end, you are lying, hanging on the cross and you are able to love everybody. And the first word says, Father, you know what? I love them so much. Please forgive them. We were there. You would say, really? These guys? Look at you. They made you like that. Forgive them. Yes, I love them. Light works in the same way. If you hide, you lose. If you put it up, you'll be given more. The problem is, if you hide the light, you drift into darkness. Little, little, little. Study the steps of how King Saul drifted little, 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 then falls headlong. Now what Romans 1.21 says? Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. No way thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, meaning they had light. What did they do with the light? They hid the light. What did God do? Darkened their hearts. Light and darkness. On the other hand, if you keep on moving in the light and keep on putting the light up and say, Lord, more of your light, more of your light, the light he will give you more. That's why I said, you can never, ever be satisfied with the knowledge of God or your spiritual growth. The spiritual growth is not a dead end. can never be. what God is talking about. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shines the light. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 scripture says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God. I still feel that many people read this as a text. It's not a text. It's the light of God. It's the person of Jesus Christ. When you search for that person who said, I am the light. He says, God, through his Holy Spirit, will shine his light into our hearts that Christ is revealed even more and more and more and more. Then in the midnight hour, probably pitch dark, in a filthy Roman prison in a little town called Philippi, when Paul and Silas are beaten and chained, legs tied to the stocks and lying over there. The light of Jesus Christ is shining even more in the darkness and they cannot help but worship. What? We think about light and 2000 years ago lights? In a Roman prison at 12? Midnight? Can you imagine? They were all listening. Hallelujah mahima They are singing. Light is shining in darkness. The prisoners are listening. You think about light in terms of this. No. Your testimony is light. Your testimony is light. And they were all listening. Man was listening. God was listening. And the testimony is shown. Light of sh- Christ shone. shown. A little later, you have the man who locked them up on his knees asking the question, What should I do to be? I am in darkness. How can I come to the light? Please. What did they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see? How God works? Finally, we drift away when we forget ending well more important than a good start. Many, many people around the world, including here, had a good start. More important than a good start. It's a good end. That's why I said, 2018 we are 70 days old. Meaning, the finish line is closer today than yesterday. In the world, you know what happens in the world? When retirement approaches, people slow down. They are retiring when? May 31st. They are already finishing off, clearing off their files, everything, packing slowly, slowly when they are going home. Little, little things are going home because these are all my things need to go home. Getting, They are slowing down God's kingdom. When the finish line approaches, you don't slow down, you speed. Your prayer life changes, your word life changes, everything changes. You're not slowing down, you are speeding because you know the finish line is close by. Therefore, judge yourself. Judge yourself. Am I drifting? Am I speeding? Has my pace increased? I have slowed and slackened. Read the book of Genesis. 50 chapters. Begins with creation, ends with a funeral. In the middle of it is this incredible character called not Abraham, Isaac or Joseph, but called Jacob. Incredible character. A man who reflects everybody. The quintessential man called Jacob who becomes Israel. Look, read chapter 48 and 49. In chapter 48 and 49, in his last days, Jacob is more prophetic and more spiritual and sees eternity more clearly than all the days of his life put together. Because at the end of his life, he's speedy. He sped so much. That he overtakes Isaac, he overtakes his grandfather Abraham and he's able to prophesy over your sons and says, the blessings of your father is more than the blessings of your forefathers. It's no longer the God of Isaac and Abraham, the mighty God of Jacob. Because his bed. Finish line is more important. If not, we are drifting away In Acts 20 verse 24, Paul will sum up his entire life. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace for God. He said two things. I want to finish my race with joy. I want to finish my work that he. That was one man who learned from Jesus. Jesus hanging on the cross, looking for an opportunity. I believe he said he prayed for all of them. And he Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Father says, I love you, son. I love your prayer. I'm going to answer it immediately. The Holy Spirit, not just one thief, he looks and says, Lord, have mercy. He said, merciful. Instant answer. Instant answer. Till his last breath, he is preaching the gospel of grace. And Paul will say, you know what? These chains has advanced the gospel. Lying in different different prisons, chained to Roman soldiers, and soldiers are getting saved. It's getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, until scripture says the gospel has reached the elect, the praetorium guard, Caesar's own royal bodyguards, the gospel has reached them through a man in chains. I want to finish my race with joy. And finish this work that God has given me. That's what God is talking about. That's our destiny. Everything else should fit into it. I'm not saying you shouldn't study. I'm saying you should study hard and study well and be excellent for Him. Let Him use your studies. Don't hold on to your studies. You have two pastors who's got two files kept there in the locker with a pile of certificates. People have looked at my certificates and said, Pastor, you passed 93 I said, yeah, one attempt. I'm still writing, still have been passed. Pass all these exams. Put it on the altar yours. I've done my part, O Lord. I am an excellent student. I have worked hard to the best of my ability and here are my certificates. Now use me. You want to be an engineer? I'll be your engineer. You want me a preacher? I'll be your preacher. Whatever you want me, I'll be yours. Because people sometimes misunderstand that I mean that you should slacken and not study. No way or say you need to study and study hard. But this is the core text that guides your life. This is your text. This is my text. Don't drift away from this. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. Like I said, I am one of those old time preachers of the time when these lorries and buses did not have power steering. So every Sunday I have to turn the congregation back to Christ. Today's preachers, 15 minutes they turn like this and go. I am not. I'm an old-time preacher. I have to turn them back. Salvation to our Lord, who stays Yesterday was a full day. I didn't have breakfast yesterday. I didn't have lunch yesterday. I didn't have dinner yesterday. I haven't had breakfast today. It's been on two bottles of lime juice. It's a God who excites us. It's a God, young people. Remember, this. a God who should excite. He's the most exciting person you will ever meet in life. Okay, study well. Never forget purpose. We are one in purpose and unity. Yes, Jeff? Purpose. You entered into a new year. Okay, and I have great hopes on you. No God has called you. One day you will hear. Study well, be excellent. Study well, be excellent. Put it on the altar. Because He put it all on the altar for us two fathers, two mountains. One father tied his son, lifted his knife. Another father said, stay your hand. Another father, his son, he said, nail him. Nail him. Pierce him. Put everything on the altar for us. Only thing we can do is put everything back on the altar for him. Amen. Shall we pray. Father, this morning we just come to we come to you as blood-washed children of the living God. Your children, your sons, your daughters. Teach us, show us. Yourself, Lord. Help us in this life never, ever be t- satisfied with you. That we will long for more and more of you each day, Lord. Every day, Lord, let our testimony be that we love you a little more today. A little more. Commit your church into the hands, young and old. Commit all the young ones, especially, Lord. I pray even now, today, you will lay your hands upon them, Lord. Touch them. Touch them. Touch them, Lord. Turn their hearts back to you. All those whose hearts have turned back to the world today, I pray Lord, you will supernaturally touch them and bring to their remembrance of their commitments and your love for them. Turn their heart back to you. And to those who are steadily walking with you, I pray you will draw them even more closer. That this year, as your child prayed, it will be a defining year for many. A year of destiny. That you will start placing the parts of the body in its appropriate places. That they will start fulfilling the purpose of God in their lives. That many, I pray, will hear clearly this year, O oh Lord. Touch Lord. That we will learn to put things first. Things first in our life. That we will have an answer to that question every day. What will I do with Jesus? Not hand him over like Pilate. To be curious and seek for a sign like Herod. To mock like the soldiers. To replace with a thief like the mob. To sell him for money like Judas. Or deny him for fear like Peter. The only answer to that question. What will I do with Jesus? Is the Lord. We crown him as king of our life. Today. Every day. For you proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. The Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Savior. We proclaim him today Lord. Lord of our lives. Lord of our church. Lord of everything Lord. Thank you Father. Thank you. As we go into another week. I pray your presence will go with each one of us. And we long for your presence. Stay in your presence. That you would bless each one. Bless the work of our hands. And make us a blessing to others, O Lord. And I pray in every heart there will be a prayer. Lord, help me to witness Christ to somebody this week. Somebody. We don't know who. You open a door. That I may share about your love and your goodness to somebody this week, O Lord. Because this light cannot be hidden. This light has to be revealed. But so there is a generation that is plunging headlong into utter darkness. You have given us the light. Help us not to hide the light, Lord. Put it upon its lampstand. That the whole world will see Christ. And you will draw men, women and children to you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Bless us. Make us a blessing. Thank you, Father. Now by faith, believing the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. The spirit has sanctified us. And the word of God has cleansed us. We lift up holy hands in your house. And we bless your holy name, O Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we confess and we proclaim. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.